You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm Eleanor Rust, Marketing Director at Rock, Paper, Scissors, the PR firm that specializes in music innovation and music technology. Today, I'm with Tristra Newyear Jaeger, not in her role as podcast host but in her role as Chief Strategy Officer at Rock, Paper, Scissors. We are doing an RPS takeover of the podcast today because we have a lot to say about the media buzz surrounding artificial intelligence, especially generative AI models like ChatGPT, Stable Diffusion, and a growing number of music-making engines. So Tristra, you've been thinking a ton about this. Why is so much writing about AI so wrong? And how do we tell stories that are more accurate? Part of the problem is we're talking about something that is technologically complex, but that has a very shiny, seemingly obvious surface. So underneath, when I interact with something like Stable Diffusion or MidJourney or even ChatGPT, I have a very friendly user experience, right, that reminds me a lot of other, I don't know, Web2 apps, anything you could find online, right? However, what's behind it is something that most people don't think about very much, whether it's like large models and algorithms and data sets and huge amounts of compute, all the things that have come together in our day and age to make generative AI possible and commercially viable. So we've got a big fundamental problem in that most people don't understand where AI comes from and how it works. Yeah, and a lot of uh, media writing, I think... um uh, tends to jump to generalizations rather than understanding the um, the detailed tech uh, developments that are happening underneath the surface. There's some great reporters out there and there's some amazing outlets and there's some great thinkers who are trying to talk to a general audience. Um, but, you know, very generally speaking, journalists are facing... Uh, an onslaught of information. And they're doing everything they can to pursue what they see as their professional practice. And it, it can be very difficult to get sometimes multiple viewpoints. It can be difficult to sit down and digest stuff. You're getting it from people who may have a vested interest in describing it in a certain way. So as a journalist, I'm really struggling sometimes to tell these complex technical stories. And there's not a lot of guidance for them. I mean, I, I, I really my heart goes out to journalists who are trying to deal with this. And, you know, if they've got like a quick deadline, their editors like write some story about chat GPT flipping out, um, you know, that that's going to attract a general readership, then that's what they're going to do. That's right. I don't want to paint journalists as the enemy in any way here or media writ large. It's not a very productive (laughs) way to frame the discussion. Um, But it's true that it's like once some buzz happens, you get this kind of snowball effect. If the buzz is around a cringy story... Yeah. Then cringy stories just keep popping up. And we're humans. We're always fascinated by the weird, the unusual, the negative, right? So all the great stuff that AI is doing behind the scenes that to make life better, um, that is actually working, is invisible, right? So we have a bias towards what's not working, what's gunky and grimy and weird and threatening and bizarre as humans. It's just sort of the way people tend to work psychologically. So if you're thinking about how to tell your story of AI, you want to make sure that you're keeping this in mind. Trista, you have a ton of experience working on telling these uh, nuanced tech stories to a media landscape that is, you know, 
challenged by those some mm-hmm. nuances. Um, so I want to hear a little bit more, just a teaser about um, your experience. You've been with Rock, Paper, Scissors for over 17 years. So you know how long our history is with AI projects. I know that there's like a huge upswing in media coverage on AI right now, mm-hmm. but we've been working on it since when? Give us a preview. Uh, I think it's about since 2016, maybe even a little bit before. But it's been, uh, for us, it's been part of what we've been talking about uh, for, God, I, almost, I was going to say almost a decade. Oh, my God. Um, but AI is is not a new development. And especially in music, it's been used uh, pretty extensively. And we've gotten a chance to tell some of the company's stories that have been involved in this. Um, everyone from people working uh, to automate mastering for non-experts. Um, and just for those of you who may not be in the studio, that's the final stage of creating a recording so that it sounds really, really good. Um, we've also worked with folks who have used generative AI models to help a songwriter past um, a little bit of writer's block. So they would generate melodies or they would suggest new chords or one of the things, and this is kind of a little sidebar, but one of the things I feel like people don't talk about enough with AI is what AI can do that's weird and creative and cool. So some of the best content out there about AI and the model training process is from people like AI Weirdness, uh, this amazing um, data scientist who does all sorts of really funny things like Victorian Valentines generated by AI or, um, you know, sorry, it's just recently been Valentine's Day. So there's like one about candy hearts that said some, you know, was pretty incredible. Um, but what models are really great at is sometimes throwing a real curveball into the mix so that you are surprised and um, delighted by what what's get what gets tossed up, and it can inspire lots of really cool human thinking based on this um, bot suggestion. Anyway, so what we've learned over all these years of working with AI is that you know, journalist uh, interest in a topic, as stated, so in this case. AI waxes and wanes. So there was a period when uh, was a sort of the first big wave of generative AI, which might have been like what four years ago, five years ago. Where I remember a big push, a big rush of it in 2019. Exactly. I remember uh, one of our clients capitalizing on that in some pretty amazing ways. You could basically like burp AI, and journalists wanted to cover it. Um, and that was so if you're in a period like that, it can feel like, oh, this is going to be super easy, but that window closes so quickly. Mm-hmm. So what you really need to think about and what I think some of the best storytelling around um, products that are built on AI is what does this do? How does this serve my industry? Not even just like what problem does it solve, but what possibilities does it open up? Um, so it's not just about you know, the way you might pitch an investor about an addressable market or a pain point. It's really finding a way to tell a very human story about how someone will use what you're making to reach a new point in their creative process or to accomplish something that has been basically impossible up to this point if we're talking about, say, um, you know, the the kind of sonic similarity matching or um, tagging that some AI models allow you to do and nowadays with music catalogs being so huge, this these are really valuable things. But you have to really connect the dots for people because, you know, if you talk to someone at a huge production library about what AI tagging can do, for example, 
that's great. And they'll get it. But a journalist who has no idea what production music is, how it gets done, why it's so dang hard to find anything that fits and what the struggles are, you really need to think more carefully about the human perspective and how it's going to impact what the ultimate consumer might feel, even if it's like a very B2B story. And we've talked about how if you are relying on buzzwords and sort of, you know, hypey concepts, if that's if if uh, if that's the the hook that you're trying to, to hang your story on, um, when that hype window closes, mm-hmm. you don't have a story. That's right. The other thing to keep in mind is that journalists are highly skeptical people. That's mm-hmm. that's part of their professional training. They have to be. So hype words, once they get used to them, tend to trigger a pretty strong gut reaction of you're trying to pull one over on me or what is really this feels kind of smoke and mirrors. What are you trying to sell me here, buddy? Yeah, that's a really good point that journalists are highly tuned bullshit detectors. <laughs> I know. That's why I love them. That's why they're right. so they're so good for the world in so many ways. And they're probably they're probably um, advanced guards in that in that if the general public is still clicking on all of those mm-hmm. so those stories that are driven by buzz, buzzwords and not much else, journalists are already planning for the next thing. And your buzzwords are basically crutches. Right. So, again, it can be great for getting an investor to sign a check or, well, you know, whatever people are doing nowadays. <laughs> Do investors like Venmo people? I don't know. Um, it's great for getting uh, someone to open an email or to put into your pitch deck or whatever. But it is it's a crutch. And that means you're not really forcing yourself to go deep and to tell the story the way uh, in a way that will have true staying power. Um, one of the funniest things I've seen, um, I mean, uh, no offense, my dear NFT and Web3 friends, <laughs> but some of your verbiage is barely qualified as English, I would I would say. Um, and it, this, I, this is just an egregious problem, I think, in some circles, partly because the technology is new and it's hard to talk about what it's going to do and we don't know what it's going to do. But I don't want to get too far afield. But one of the funniest things I've seen in a, in a really great tweet was someone tried to describe Airbnb's business model using Web3 language. And it was completely <laughs> incomprehensible. Like, so yeah. so just think about it. Yeah, I could talk about um, non-fungible assets that are fractionalized according to time-limited um, factors <laughs> and um, all these kind of things where there's like a, a you know, KYC process for both parties or, you know, however, what is more important is when I want to go and visit my favorite um, little town in the middle of nowhere, I can find a wonderful place to stay that feels homey and lets me really sink into that experience. That's what a Airbnb is actually doing. And the the tech behind it doesn't matter as much for telling the story and for building a story over time. That's something that we have a lot of experience with um, is that building momentum, that grabbing that story with the buzzword does not mean that you get constant repeated traction. Yeah, if you think about again, not to not to harp too much on Airbnb, but Airbnb, Uber, some of these um, startups that um, 
came onto the scene about the same time, uh, what, like 10, 12, 13 years ago? God, I can't keep track. I'm too old. Um, the They all put together a story that was the sharing economy, mm. right? And that sounds like ludicrously stupid right now, but journalists really loved that story. Mm. And it allowed these companies to make some pretty serious inroads and get people to write about them in ways that were very beneficial for their businesses. So... The bigger picture story was what are people doing with this? And is there even like a cultural concept we can come up with that really encompasses how all of this works and how it's changing things? What really boils down to one major lesson we have for tech thinkers who want to tell their story in the press. I like to think of it as speak human. And I mean, we're not accusing any founders of themselves being artificial. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it it a challenge for tech thinkers to speak human? Because most of their contexts, um, most of their linguistic worlds are not talking to people who don't have a certain basis of technological or technical expertise, right? So... I'm not um, most of the people I really care about when I'm working my my butt off as a founder are people who are maybe developers, engineers. I'm talking to VCs. I'm talking to other kinds of investors. I'm talking to my colleagues in the industry who have deep technical knowledge and I don't need to explain to them, for instance, what a mechanical license is or what um, a data set is. I don't have to explain any of that. And so I'm used to using these kind of shorthand terms Um, which then can turn into buzzwords, to talk about what I'm doing. Um, And, you know, what really matters to me as a founder is not necessarily the story that's going to resonate with a journalist. And the journalist is thinking very carefully about their readers, listeners, viewers. So when I'm super proud of this massive lift we did to meet a deadline or to push something out and finally get our MVP together and we're so excited and it was like hugely complicated, that's really, really exciting for you. And sadly, a journalist probably won't care. (laughs) So it's heartbreaking because I see the effort that goes into this. But so speaking human is your way to sort of bridge that gap between your complex detailed world and a world that needs to hear about your stories. And these aren't, to make it even a little bit more complicated, this isn't a marketing speak approach. So That's really important to distinguish. I mean, uh, some people do, well, people's marketing strategies might include marketing, PR, advertising. All of those areas have different goals and different language, different, uh, I mean, you know, in the marketing speak, different calls to action mm-hmm. um, and different narrative requirements, really different storytelling. needs. Absolutely. So your marketing materials can be much more, um, how should I say, self-referential. You don't have to necessarily prove your points. You just have to play, you know, assert them compel- in a compelling way. Mm-hmm. And, and drive people directly to a call to action. That's right. You have sort of a, a threshold you need to get people over. But once they're there, you've got other stuff that's going to come into play. Whereas for a journalist, they kind of need to see something a bit different. They need to see um, something that does have some robust quality that doesn't feel like it's stuffed full of vanity metrics, that doesn't feel like they're being marketed to. Because as we just mentioned, the bullshit meter is going to go like up to 11. Yeah. Um if you if you constantly hit people with marketing stuff, 
And you're talking it often in like the second person in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas with journalists, you're talking, you often want to present it almost more of a first person perspective. That's right. You want to be telling your story. Whereas in marketing, you're trying to get a single person to take action. Yes. It's a, it's a little imperative. It's a little, Trisha and I are grammar nerds. If you know it. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's trying to make that action easy. It's, it's ex- the vocative. It's the vocative. It's the... <laughs> and I want you to put it all in the instrumental here. Um. Um, it's not about, I mean, you might hear people talk about marketing stories, um, but they don't tend to have the beginning, middle, and end the way a journalist <laughs> is going to want to have. Well, I mean, unless you think a, a great story is I like shirt. <laughs> um, sorry. Okay. Right. A very, let's, very oblique weatherman reference there, Ron Burgundy. Okay. Let's bring this back to some lessons yes. on speaking human that we've gained over our years of experience working with them. Um, so um, like you mentioned earlier, we've worked with a generative AI songwriting assistant. We worked with a generative AI art platform. Back before it was cool. Back before it was cool. <laughs> um, a generative AI synthetic media studio with its own roster of virtual artists. An audio wellness company using AI and neuroscience. So we've got um, we've got a, a background with uh, projects that both foreground AI uh, in their storytelling, but also that use AI in the background without making that part of their story. Um, so let's dig into some of those lessons. What have we helped founders do to, to speak human? What have we learned? Wow. Um, one of the first things is consider what other spaces you're operating in. So don't just consider yourself. I mean, I've very rarely do companies do this. They they know that like, oh yeah, what I'm doing also has to do with with the, you know, I don't know, with mixology and with um, animal care or whatever. Um, <laughs> we haven't had any of those clients yet. But, um, but you need to really think about how are people talking about some of these things in this other industry. And again, still avoiding hype, but how do you weave it into, like, for instance, if we're talking about a generative AI songwriting assistant, how do you make it sound like this isn't generating music for you? It's helping you with ideas the way... Um, you know, the way you might get from a, a coach, the way a coach helps you work out, this app will help you get breakthrough when you're trying to do a bunch of good songwriting and you're just feeling kind of like you're having a bad day. You gotta, you really want to get something down and get something started that you can play around with. You can use this app, for instance. So those kind of like actually going through the, 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 the story. And one of the most interesting things we've noticed is people really want to play around with your AI. So if you have a way to create even a goofy little, little widget, like some dumb thing that people can toy around with and just get an idea of what it's like, um, then you can definitely be more persuasive and draw people in, even if that's not your primary product. I know that's the last thing you need to add to your to-do list is mm-hmm. make some kind of user-facing doohickey that journalists can goof around with. But it's um, it can be very difficult if there's no way for them to really experience the product because people are still trying to figure out what is this thing and what does it do. Yeah, I think that's a huge a huge factor behind the impact le- lately of ChatGPT mm-hmm. and a little while ago stable diffusion and exactly people expect that yeah and but um it wasn't just that they are ai models it's that people could dive in immediately and Mm -hmm. do something fun with them even if they were 
if they, even if they had the wrong idea about what its goal was, yeah. even if they had no idea what a training, what training data meant or what a model is, they could still dive in and, and, and do something maybe a little wacky. Yeah. So in, in the world of music, which is where we have most of our experience, um, you know, talking about what it does, how it plays into other trends within the music business, what the aesthetics are. Um, you know, aesthetics are important. And so when you, one of the most persuasive things about chat GPT or stable diffusion or mid journey is the results are quite nice. They're, they can be quite astonishing. They can be funny, quirky. They can look really good or, or read really well, even if they have their, um, fatal flaws and, uh, don't fit into our current copyright regime. Um, but there's, there's something to that sort of, quality that is really important. And with music stuff so far, I mean, there's some really interesting things happening. There's a lot of models that haven't been like really commercially released yet. There's a lot of this and that, but a lot of it still requires a certain amount of expertise to use properly. Like if you're uh, some early AI stuff was all in MIDI. So you got these little blonky, blonk, blonk, blonk sounds, right? And that's like not going to, like a journalist can be like, what the hell is this? Um, so, you know, bear that in mind as you're thinking about how to structure things. Or even if you, if you can't afford a, a doohickey people can play with, you could at least do um, a demo, shoot a video. I mean, it can be, it doesn't have to look like it was made professionally. It can just be, as long as it's engaging and clear and shows what things do, that can be really, really helpful with one client. We even, <laughs> to target journalists, and I'm probably giving away too many secrets here, but whatever, it's a freebie for all you puppies who are listening. Um, we had them generate custom songs for each journalist. So based on their outlet name, on the kind of stuff they covered, we named them in the song. And that got a very, very high level outlet interested in this company. And it led to an interview with the founder and all sorts of other really great things. Um, another wonderful... Um, wonderful thing. I mean, AI does do some stuff that's that is unique, and you can really home in on that and use that as a basis for thought leadership, which we can talk about more in a second. Let's talk more about that in a second. I I have a question um, about what other stories kind of branching off of that central. This is an AI. Uh, product project mm -hmm. um what other kinds of stories um find success like how we talked a little bit earlier about how um in our pr work we're really working on building long-term momentum not just nailing that one big story mm -hmm. um so what other kinds of of um sort of supporting stories have you seen come out of our ai clients work that might not even mention ai or might have ai in the background i'm guess i'm thinking of some artist partnerships yeah art so yeah that's yeah. right so bringing um, bringing people on board who are using the AI or who created the content um, that the AI, AI uses to generate. You know, so you have a model and you feed this content in there um, and it processes it and makes something and, and you then I, that would be um, one example. Another example would be um, beginners. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, you know, the music production process is quite complicated and the learning curve can be very steep, right? You can make some cool little things in GarageBand, um, you know, the second you get an iPad in your hands, but to really make something that's satisfying, um, the, the learning curve can be quite steep. There's a lot of expensive um, software plugins, et cetera, that people often end up accumulating without making full use of. So AI can be really, really helpful in 
you know, easing people along and helping them get um, get mastery and, and making the music that they hear in their head or that they want to hear in the world more quickly um, and, and, you know, making it sound better. So that kind of story um, is really interesting and has and has done really, really well. And then, of course, there's like bigger partnerships. So sometimes AI can play in, you know, your model, your your approach can, you know, work well with another business's business model. Mm. And those kind of stories are very interesting to journalists because, again, it points out these new use cases, these new opportunities, ideas that um, might really be unique to AI. Podcast listeners, we have so much more to say on this topic, including Tristra's top tips for becoming a thought leader on AI in the mainstream press. If you'd like to learn how to make your expertise and insights poll quote ready... You can get the rest of our conversation on our website, rockpaperscissors.biz, that's dot B-I-Z. Look for downloads on the resources page. Just give us your email address and we'll send you our full conversation as an audio file and as a transcript. And if you'd like to have the Rock, Paper, Scissors PR team help you and your music tech and innovation company speak human, you could check out our services also at rockpaperscissors.biz. I mean, one thing we've talked about a lot um, is the speak human concept, it can really help to have a interested third party uh, be help, coaching you on that, right? If you need to get out of the tech we hire a human, hire a human. That's our, that's our <laughs> model. Hire a human. All right. Um, so the next episode will return to the usual music tectonics format of crazy pants interviews with big thinkers, movers and shakers in music tech. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye! You're listening to Music Tectonics.